to the tag your it podcast i'm ray ray and i am dave and we're doing a new thing here um we're not live but we are on a zoom chat with who are you dude cali <laughs> cali right all right so um the thing is is you've seen um him with uh, a lot of the abolitionist dudes free the states has uh, had him on their podcast um, him and his wife just yeah. were on there not too long ago yeah so uh, this is a this is a guy that's been uh, making the rounds and stuff like that he finally lands on the tag your podcast we're so honored to have you sir and uh it's it's this is this is awesome this is the first time i'm meeting you after watching you know the little bit of videos to to get to know you um hopefully our listeners uh, get to know who you are know more about the abolitionist position anyway but you know just to just put it out there for the listeners anyway is um you know we don't want to be um just sitting here just harping on one issue even though i do say you know this is one issue does encapsulate a lot of issues because if we're wanting to talk about what a person is and speaking to the you know black lives matter movement or anything like that it all comes down to we are made in the image of god and it's important that that is there or else black lives matter white lives matter don't or black lives don't matter white lives don't matter um, Asian lives don't matter if the, if there's no image of God, we're just a bunch of there's there, there can anarchy can reign and it's totally okay. Um, but the fact is God created, God created male and female, God created, um, in, in the image to where we take dominion, where we were made to build culture and to glorify him. So, you know, that's why this issue is so important. And we take the opportunities that we can to bring Callie on. This is something that Dave, um, just like threw on me, like, Hey, we can have Kelly on here. So, yeah, yeah. I'm really grateful. So, uh, Kelly, just for those who are maybe introduced to you for the first time, and even for some of my own knowledge, uh, I've read the majority of your book here, but you don't really tell us a whole lot about yourself in it. So just kind of tell us who you are, what you do, uh, and introduce yourself to our audience. Right on. Yeah, my, my name is Callie. I, I pastor a small particular Baptist church in Victoria, Texas. Um, I have 13 grandchildren, which mm -hmm. is amazing. I love it. Um, I do a lot of work with uh, abortion stuff. So I'm, you can find me out at abortion mills. Usually I, I'm in San Antonio, Um I have traveled around to them. I do a lot of work with uh, legislation, even though I very much don't like it. Um, I try to get involved with as much education as possible, um, trying to help people think through the implication of what it means to be created in the image of God and, and what that entails. And part of the reason why I focus on abortion as much as I do compared to other issues like, say, sex trafficking or even racism or in any of these other issues is when it comes to abortion, we have government sanctioned murder. Yeah. Right. And, and all of these other issues, whether it's sex trafficking, prostitution, pornography, there there is a, a sense of you can't go around killing people. You, you can't go around sex trafficking people. You, prostitution is illegal. 
right? So, so in, in a lot of these cases, it's already illegal. But here in this one instance, we have the practice which is sanctioned by the government. The government gives you official permission and approval to kill your unborn children. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things, you know, I kind of want to get into a little bit more, too, because, uh, you know, that that introduction of yourself is out there. And it's awesome, again, to have have that introduction. But, you know, uh, the, the, the thing is, is from scripture, I see here, you know, do not be deceived. No sexual immoral people, idolaters, mm-hmm. adulterers, no males who have sex with males, no thieves, mm-hmm. people, drunkards, verbally abusive people or swindlers will inherit the, God's kingdom. And yet some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And you've got to right. say, well, don't you? Yeah. And, and honestly, it's, it's the same as every other Christian that's out there. I was a God hating, self loving person. Mm. And um, I went out of my way to live a life of, autonomy, doing what is right in my own eyes. And then God, by his grace, opened up my eyes to the truth of who he was and uh, his son and the forgiveness that we have in him. And from that point on, you know, I was a changed person. And and by his grace, I I move from faith to faith. Right. You know, where he grants me more faith to live more like Christ. Right. And. Can I ask, I know it wasn't in our questions, but like, could you tell me about the person who presented the gospel to you or the... Yeah, see, it it wasn't really like that. Yeah, uh, my wife, uh, my wife got saved while while I was traveling and we were best friends at the time and she had been praying for me and I came to visit her and it just happened. He, He just opened up my eyes to the truth. It wasn't any one specific person sharing the gospel. I can remember a whole bunch of people doing it over a period of years that I mocked, but uh, it wasn't one specific instance of the gospel being shared. It, it was a moment where it all became real. Hmm. Amen. That's awesome. So how then did you get into the abolitionist movement from right. give me just a brief, you know, right. Yeah. So I, I was pro eugenics. I was pro abortion. I was, um, very much against humanity, right. Mm-hmm. Kill all of them. And, uh, except for yourself. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, well, yeah. I'm, you know, cause I love myself, right. You know, yeah. um, so when I became a Christian, I, I knew that I had to be pro-life, right? So I, I didn't know really what that meant. I just knew that I was no longer for abortion. And then, uh, so I got saved in 2012. And hmm. somewhere around 2014, I saw babies are murdered here and who will stand. Hmm. And that really caused me to go, well, if I believe this now, what am I doing to stand up for these children? Right? If I really believe this and God says that we love them, what am I doing? 
so I, I started going out to abortion clinics and uh, I didn't know what I was doing. Just going to go there and share the gospel. And then over a period of time, trying to read the Bible and go, what am I supposed to really think about this? And uh, there was some legislation that came up in 2016. And so I was supporting that legislation. It was a, a bill of uh, equal justice. And that caused some friction with some pastors that I knew. And uh, so I debated one of the pastors on it. And that's when I found out that I was an abolitionist. Hmm. So, so we want to talk just briefly about your book, because I think that's a great segue into responding to some of the things that we've seen coming up and following, uh, at least for us, being in the Southern Baptist circle and your connections with other Southern Baptists. Um, tell us a little bit about the Doctrine of Balaam uh, and give us just a right. brief, uh, point by point kind of what it what it says. Uh, we want to encourage everyone to get this book. You can get it on. Can you get it on Amazon? Yes. I got mine yes. free by God's grace. Thank you so much. I do. Um, uh, I do have a web page pulled up just for the uh, synopsis on the back anyway, just to have that in my eyes anyway, but it is at grace and truthbooks.com too. They're not paying us for that, but that's just the one I have up just to give our listeners a quick uh, link to type in to, to get a hold of it if they need it. So thank you for donating yeah. some copies, by the way, to our table. Um, I was able, there was one left uh, at the end of founders conference and I got, grabbed it for Adam, but then I just went back to the hotel and read it. So, <laughs> I, haven't finished, I haven't finished it completely. Uh, right. but I was like, no, Adam doesn't get it. No, no. <laughs> I'll get one. Yeah. So um, I wrote it. I was asked to write it. Mm. And uh, it, it started out by I, w I was asked to write little pamphlets. Okay. Um, like little quadfolds and stuff, and I'm not very concise. Mm -hmm. So it, it turned into a much bigger project. And so that became, hey, why don't you set up a website and just write a bunch of articles? And uh, I collected enough content that Jay was like, hey, just put it into a book. So I talked to Luke and they published it. And uh, it's... I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed writing it. I, I think the important chapter is chapter number one, right? Mm -hmm. Everything else is just abortion being placed into the context of what I say in chapter one, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I believe that scripture speaks to all of faith and life for the Christian, right? That, that it, it dictates to the Christian how one ought to live in liberty and freedom. And, and what we need to ask ourselves is, is basically one question. And, and it goes back to the Garden of Eden, right? Did God really say? Because the devil is still accusing God, the world is still accusing God, and you were once joined in with the world as you were covenanted to Adam, accusing God with, with the same question. Did God really say, X, Y, or Z. And the only response that we ought to have is to stand with Christ, who in the same temptations quoted scripture, mm -hmm. right? When, when, when the devil tempted him, it was thus says the Lord, or as it is written. And, and so I believe that scripture 
either explicitly or implicitly talks to all of the major um, aspects of, of how we ought to live as, as good citizens, as good husbands, as wives, as children, as tailors, as IT consultants. It doesn't matter. The, the scripture speaks to how you ought to act with a, a Christian ethic. And after establishing that, then I, I spend the rest of the book talking about how are we to view abortion and how we address abortion. And what I did was I, I took pro-life doctrinal positions hmm. and, um, and then I inspected them, right? I, I inspected them, one, through the light of nature and exposed how inconsistent even their rhetoric is when, when you look at the light of nature, right? And that's to shut the mouth of the fool. Right. And then I took what scripture says to completely demolish what their position is and replace it with what God has said about how to view these doctrinal positions. Hmm. Man. Hmm. That's wonderful. I really enjoyed everything that I've read. It reads so easy. Uh, and as someone who has to read a lot of papers from students and stuff, Whenever I get to read something that is easy to read and understand and follow, it's such a breath of fresh air. And so I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I just finished teaching this semester, so I will have a little bit more time to do some reading. I'm going on vacation after our program, so this, I will finish the book here really shortly. But it's, it's great. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. And want to encourage others to make sure you get a copy of that. And yeah. I'm also just going to make sure I know you're very familiar with, with this one here. Uh, right. Am I an abolitionist? James, James put that together. It's a 24-page pamphlet on the doctrinal positions of a of abolition. It's very good. Yeah, he, yeah. he cites you in it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Citable. Yeah. yeah. Well, man, um, you know what? Uh, we just got out of uh, since we're in the SBC anyway. Um, we just got out of the whole mess of uh, just what happened with the uh, you know the Southern Baptist for the abolition of abortion guys. You know, a year prior to this, you know, Dave and I, we tried to do the Missouri Baptist for Ab abolition of abortion. We had their permission to take that resolution, put it into state convention terms. That was no bueno. It definitely yeah. got hijacked there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now that we're, now there's some good steam, hopefully, and and to go back and revisit it yeah. um, this year after the SBAA happens. So, you know, you, that, that all went down. Um, there's, there's some things that's went on to it, but uh, how, how do you respond to the resolution to abolish abortion? Uh, yeah, so, so a couple of years ago, Darren tried to bring something up on, on, the, on the floor and it was rejected because of a technical error that he didn't phrase it in a question or something like that. Obviously. Now, so I'm, I'm not in the SBC, j just for, for clarity, um, but I have a lot of friends that are. Um, so after that happened, the following year, there was this huge influx of SBC pastors that moved out of their pro-life way of thinking to hold to abolitionist doctrine mm -hmm. uh, of how to deal with abortion. And with this influx, they super gung-ho and 
they're also influential people within their respective regional areas, right? So like Blake Gideon was the, the head of the, the Southern Baptists of Oklahoma, right? And he's no longer the president, but he, he was at the time. And uh, so you had these Southern Baptists and they're getting ready to go to the convention. This is before the COVIDs, right? And uh, they wanted to put together a, a resolution. So they, they started writing their resolution. And, and because a lot of them are 1689 pastors, yeah, um, they contacted me because I am and, and I'm pretty well versed in reading confessions and, and very specific language of creeds and confessions. Yeah. So they wanted me to go through their resolution with them and compare the, the confessional type language with that of abolitionism. And so I was able to work with some of the language on, on their, their resolution with them. Well, the COVIDs happened and they didn't have your general assembly, right? Yeah. So they, they put up a website, they started advertising their, their resolution, and we did a bunch of promotion on it. This year at the general assembly, they brought in a whole bunch of abolitionists, some of them SBC and some of them not. And they had a whole campaign about getting the resolution into the hands of average Christian messengers, right? So that people understood what they were doing. Um, so there was this whole campaign. They put the resolution in and it's denied by committee. They're, they're not going to let it out. Um, now, I, I do want to thank, uh, what's his name? Brett Barber. He's a, a pastor up in North Texas, he put out a video explaining why they weren't going to from a personal, not not from the committee, but why he wasn't going to let the resolution go out nor vote for it. And he is one of the few people that has actually begun to engage with the authors of the resolution to understand what is the language about and wants to either be persuaded or persuade the abolitionists. So he is behind the scenes involved with actual discussions with some of the authors of the resolution. So I want to, I want to give my hats off to him and, and thank him for that type of integrity. Yeah. That's right. But, Right. So the, the resolutions committee denies the resolution, which I mean, I pretty much thought was going to happen. Yeah. Then they they decided to do some parliamentary procedure with the two thirds vote yeah. to command the resolutions committee to bring it out. And from what I understand of the people there, they, it was like 85 percent to 90 percent vote which is huge. I mean, that right there should say a lot of, and encourage Christians that, hey, this is a topic that we want to talk about, that we want to understand, right? So historical event, I guess it, it's not something that happens. Nobody can tell me the, the last time it ever happened, yeah. right? So it's, it's some historical thing and they got more than the two thirds, they got like 85, 90% of the vote. 
Mm-hmm. So during the discussions, there was somebody tried to amend it with a nonsensical amendment. But even in, in, in that vote, it, it passed. Mm-hmm. But you still had over 40% of the people voting against the amendment. Yeah. That is shocking because I would argue that the vast majority of the messengers really don't understand the difference between abolitionism and pro-lifeism. Yeah. At least a lot of the minor details that are really important. But that shows that they understood, at least in part, the point that was trying to be made. So that's super encouraging. But then you have the vote on it and it overwhelmingly passes. What I think is very striking and one thing that I'm super excited for the SBC about with this is that you have what you, you have this institution that, that is against this resolution and they, they bring in their entities, the ER, ERLC, professors of ethics, professors of moral philosophy, professor of biblical studies to come out against this publicly in the debate portion. Okay, I think that's great. We need this discussion. We, yeah. we, we need the, the messengers, we need average Christians to be led along in this discussion. So I'm, I'm super excited for the SBC about that. And it has caused a lot of discussion. There's so much discussion going on behind the scenes across the nation right now about this. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But, but what's really sad is they, they put out, in addition to debating against this resolution, they, they put out an article, which, again, I think is great. I, I think having opposition and critique is very important to the Christian. Defend your position. Right. I mean, you guys are an apologetics type podcast. You want to say something, defend it. That's amazing because that's how we sharpen each other. Right. So you have these professional apologists that train other Christians how to be apologists against the pro-choice arguments and advocates joining hands with ethics professors to write this article. And I say, great, that's awesome. And within the article, they, they, they demand that supporters bring clarity specifically to one portion, but by implication, the rest of the resolution. And as soon as that happens, we say, great, let's have this discussion. And authors of the, the resolution and I did as somebody who helped construct the language of the resolution – approached them and said, look, I I realize you guys have very limited time, but you speak for the institutions itself. You're not just some guy. You are actually speaking on behalf of the institution against this thing. And you've called us out. I'm not just some guy either. Right. I, I helped construct the language of this bill or this resolution And some of the authors have reached out to them and on social media, we've been blocked by them. We have been shut down by them. They will not engage in any type of discourse. Scott Klusendorf, Seth Gruber, um, 
Alan Branch, Alan Walker, Denny Burke, all of these guys speak for this institution or these entities as part of Big Eva, which is great. Now engage us in the conversation so that the average Christian can sort through these issues. But instead what they do is they, they throw out this critique and they act as if they're speaking from an authoritative voice and then shut off any type of discussion. Yeah. And, and it looks like, Hey, trust me, I'm the expert. I know better than you. So um, just follow the science, you know, we're in this together. I'm the authority. And instead of these institutions working for in service of the messengers you have them lording over them and and it's it's really disgraceful i I would have more respect for them if they would engage us and still defend their position and not compromise from it that is awesome that's great you really believe this and all right i do want to make this clear i believe that they do love jesus yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that I don't think they're Christian. I think that they hate abortion. Well, and that's, I, I think yeah. though, that's the issue to me is because I, I personally know one of the people who authored this and I have been able to be a part of some of those discussions and re, reaching out to um, some of these individuals, um, been able to join in on some of those discussions. My issue is, I'm not saying these people aren't saved. I'm not saying that they're not trying to save lives. But what is so discouraging to me, Callie, is why won't you you'll you'll publicly accuse the authors of being misogynistic, Mm -hmm. of fanning the flames of civil war. But then when they say, hey, let's have a conversation like this, like we are having. That was the first invitation that was given to almost all of those authors of this, mm-hmm. of the, the piece that was um, put forward in the public discourse. Now I'm not some great credentialed guy, right? I'm pastor of a little, a little Baptist church, right? A little Southern Baptist right. church. We're, we're founders friendly 1689 folks. And uh, you know, we've, we've transitioned from the traditional Southern Baptist to the historical Southern Baptist. And we're still working our way through that by God's grace. I've been given that incredible blessing uh, of getting to do that. And and I'm grateful for that and been able to engage my folks with the discussion of abolitionism. And and some of the things that you've put forward have been helpful to me as I began to teach my church, but people that I look up to and admire have now said, you're not good enough for us to have a real conversation in a right in dialogue so that we right. can have understanding. Yeah. And that's what, you right. know, you know, I, I can speak to that, you know, just, just as a viewer, I wasn't there. I was there in spirit and it was great. Some of my questions got asked uh, to some people I'd like to ask the questions to. Um, but as one that wasn't there, um, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just a congregation member. <laughs> I could have been a messenger, I guess, if I if I could have gotten out. But anyway, I'm just sitting back and just like hearing um, Dr. Branch to me sitting up there and just going, this is just a bad document. It's horribly written and stuff. There's no demonstration. And to me, right. that demonstrates the arrogance of like, oh, I'm just going to call it names and then lord it over these messengers. And hopefully they hear awful document not written right hey i'm i'm a midwestern seminary guy i think that's where he is anyway but you know i'm i'm there and so hopefully my signal is look at me i'm an elite guy i'm a i'm a doctor um i'm just going to call it names and hopefully these people 
just by that vote against right. without any demonstration. And that's right. what leads to this is why we need to have a conversation. Okay, why is right. it written? Like, how can right. we buttress this better? Is there any way that we can persuade you to go, this is the biblical position. So how can we write this better? You know, like, right. how can we come into reconciling? Because, you know, before we hit record on this, you know, we're not about destroying institutions. Right, um, right, right. Luther was but not the institutions about destroying the church. Are- the institutions serve the like within the SBC, the, the institutions serve the messengers. They, they serve the Christians, but that's not what's happening. What yeah. we're seeing with with. And it's not just in this resolution. Look at what's going on with all of this CRT stuff. Look yeah. at what happened with the Lytton and his uh, heretical statement on the website that got switched real fast or copying J.D. Greer as far back as 2013, 2015, um, hiring eight pastors to organize and write his sermons for him. I think that the average Christian is starting to see, hey, our institutions, they look just like the political realm and we need to do something about it. We, we, the, they belong to us and we love them. We, these, these institutions serve us well, but we can't blindly follow them into nonsense, right? We, we need to hold them accountable and have these dialogues, right? Yeah. Because I, I, I don't believe that that most Southern Baptists really understand the difference between pro-life stuff and what the resolution talked about. Yeah. Maybe some, some bits of it, but I, I don't think that they've, they've really thought through a lot of these implications. And that's OK. Right. And I don't even think that I need to convince all of them. Or even, you know, Dr. Branch or Denny Burke or, or any of these guys. But have the conversation, right? Well, if, if at the end of the conversation, you still want to say, no, you're wrong. Okay, you, your conscience, you have to deal with that. But don't right. shut down conversation. Yeah. Amen. And that brings me to just some of this article, why we oppose the anti-abortion resolution at the Southern Baptist Convention. And I don't want to steal any of your thunder because I know you and Darren are going to work through this. And one more time, what is the name of your guys' program? We'll make sure we get as many people as we can ushered right. way. Uh, resisting Balaam. Resisting Balaam. That's right. Yeah. So some of the issues that they had, and man, I just love the clarity that I got from your book, but I know there's going to be people who are going to listen to this and they might not buy the book, but maybe after reading the book, then getting an opportunity to hear from you, some of the arguments in this article could have been put to rest if they would have actually discussed some of these things with us. Oh, right. Well, and that's how uh, Dr. Branch blocked me. Somebody asked him a question about the ectopic pregnancies, which he has written an article on, and and it's it's actually a a decent article, and we cite the same sources. Um, So all I did was I responded to the person that asked him about ectopic pregnancies pregnancy and i said hey this is a short five minute video from the authors of the resolution that are dealing with this question to the oklahoma senate in their actual bill yeah here's 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 the response and within i don't know 60 seconds of me posting that he blocked me on social media 
Hmm. So then give our audience yeah. some right. clarity on this right. argument from these folks about how the resolution doesn't cover or doesn't uh, give right. room for yeah, atomic pregnancy. Yeah, because like in this right. article, that's like at least half of the. It's, it's half over half. Yeah. It's, it, right. It's it's over half of the article deals with that. So they're concerned about life of the mother. And I'm, I'm glad they use the terminology life of the mother instead of health of the mother, because health of the mother goes to Supreme Court um, definitions through the Bolton case, which opens the door to pretty much financial, mental, any reason you want to kill your baby. So, but, but they're talking about the actual life of the mother. Yeah. So we do need to address this because the women die in pregnancy. Right. Uh, about 650 ish every year die. Um, over half of them die within a week after pregnancy. Right. So it's a very real thing. Women die in pregnancy. Now, by God's grace, over the past 80 years, because of sanitation and technology, that number has plummeted down to 650 a year. Um, and generally, it's broken up into two categories when it comes to um, the gestational period. So after 20 weeks, there are times where doctors still say you are going to die. You must abort your child. Well, recently, there's been an article that was peer reviewed and, and signed by over a thousand obstetrics doctors that are making this argument that from the 20 week period to the end, it is safer for the mother to have a emergency cesarean section takes about an hour, maybe two hours versus the three days that it three, four days that it takes for the abortion. It's also safer for the baby because 100% of the time in the abortion, the baby dies and in the, cesarean the baby has a chance to live right um there's also other medical things that happen with the abortion versus the cesarean that makes it safer for both the mother and the child but that's generally not what they're talking about usually most of the time they're talking about ectopic pregnancies mm -hmm. now there are about sixty thousand ectopic pregnancies every year in the United States. Now, Dr. Branch, citing the same source that we use, will say that the vast, the overwhelming majority of those cases, the child is dead by the time they find out it's ectopic. Yeah. So then again, if it's already dead, by is the that time an abortion? Out, that's not an abortion, right? Correct. Okay. So. Yeah. You've already removed the vast majority, the overwhelming. They, they don't have real numbers or statistics because it's hard to tell. Yeah. Um, the other thing about ectopics is, is most of them clear themselves out without any type of medical treatment. They, they, they have a tendency of flushing themselves out in, in miscarriage. Yeah. I don't know the bi biology behind it. It just, ha you know, it happens. Yeah. Um, but there are cases, very, very few, where surgery is needed to remove the child from 
wherever it's implanted improperly, because that's all. It doesn't mean it's necessarily in the fallopian tube. It just means it's implanted in the wrong place. Yeah. Um, but the deadly part that, that we're talking about, it's generally in the, the fallopian tube. So at this point, now we're talking about a handful. Yeah. So the handful now, is you have a fertilized a live type egg right. became what's what we call a baby. I mean, we can call right. it whatever. I mean, we can get technical or we can right. general. It is a human life that right. is life and it's alive still in the wrong spot. Fallopian tube. Right. Make sure we're right. clear. Yeah. Right. So now we're talking about a very small number. We still have to deal with that small number. I'm not saying that we don't, but yeah. let's recognize that that number is extremely small and we don't make rules based off of aberrations and exceptions. One. Yeah. But two, when it comes to the, the procedure that's happening, we need to distinguish between medical procedures that have the intended result of the death of the child, which is the language that's used for abortion. That, that's, that's how the, the language is written in the law to keep a doctor from being prosecuted for criminal homicide, right? Yeah. So criminal homicide exceptions say um, that it is not to be considered criminal homicide if the action is taken by a licensed medical physician with the consent of the mother and it is a lawful medical procedure that has the intended result of the death of the child. So when, when you're doing a triage emergency surgery is the intended result of that procedure, the death of the child. I, I think we have to clearly say the answer is no. Sure. Do, do we recognize that the child will die in all likelihood? Mm -hmm. It's a very high possibility. There have been a few cases where they've been able to transfer them successfully that's, but that's even more rare. That's even way more rare. But then that but, yeah, let, let's, puts the ball in our court, which says, hey, we are people of science. Again, right. you know, the Noe Covenant Awareness Month, and we've talked about God keeps uniformity of nature. This is where he does. He can base science, like we can justify the scientific method that there is right. uniformity in nature. And so we can be people of science and go, someday we, we will and we should work toward a time where right. we can actually take that and go, hey, well, now we have the tools, we have the knowledge, right. we've got right. the resources to take that, and hey, it's still alive in there. Let's put it over here, and everything's golden, right? You know, but until that time, right. yeah. And when right. So, so in the, in the law right now, there is already language protecting doctors that are performing medical procedures as a form of triage to take care of women. And if the child dies during those procedures, it's not to be considered criminal homicide because the intention of that was not to kill the child. So let's say you, you have an appendectomy, right? Your, your appendix ruptures and during the process of, of the appendectomy, the child dies. The law is written in such a way where the, the medical doctor is not, the action is not considered criminal homicide because the intention was to save the life of the mother through this surgery. And as a, a result of what he was doing, the child dies. That's not the same thing as going in and killing the child. Yeah. Hmm. So there needs to be a very serious conversation 
at least right. from abolitionists, that right. you have a categorical difference here. And from right. the Christian worldview, we could never advocate for abortion in that way because it's murder. And right. so what's happening there in the article is they're still advocating for murder. Right. I mean, I hope I'm not the only one who yeah. sees that. They've made a category error that is a serious, fallacious argument because the way that they've understood and dealt with the terminology. No, we should never say murder is OK, but you're excusing it when actually what could happen is the, the parent can say, no, I need medical triage. Mm -hmm. And here's a beautiful thing. When right. we advocate for that medical triage and not go down to Planned Parenthood, we actually are allowing technology to develop and medical science to develop right. to save the life of more children. Science. They're saying, oh, you, we're, you're going to save the life of mothers. That's why we've got to stop this, because this prevents women. This this allows women to get killed. No, no, no. Look at the amazing con the amazing implications of saying medical triage which will develop eventually into saving more lives of children, we are in the long term going to actually save more children's lives because right. we've said we're going to adopt the right language, the right policy, right. and not allow people to go to Planned Parenthood. Well, also, and, and so that, that's the other thing. Like, you don't go to Planned Parenthood with an ectopic pregnancy. That happens inside hospitals. There's a huge difference. And the language of the resolution, all it said was no compromise, no exceptions. Right. Yeah. And and part of that is to deal with rape. Part of that is to deal with incest. Part of that is to deal with those types of things that are generally used by pro-life people and pro-choice people. Oh, yeah. And again, th those things deal with less than 1% of all abortions to begin with. Yeah, so we're talking about a small number. Yeah. And we have the Me Too movement and all that kind of stuff, which what is rape and what is not rape. And like somebody immediately just yell rape and you don't have to go to trial about it either. So, I mean, that comes up with its own problems too, added to it. So. so this article also talks about how the authors are misogynistic. Right. Um, how do you respond to that element when someone right. has to put forward that piece? And and really what they're talking about is uh, the prosecution aspect, right? Yeah. It, wouldn't you think that 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 is really what they're focused on and is, yeah. as far as calling us misogynist because we want equal justice. We, we, we think that all principal actors, all co-conspirators, and all accomplices of all types of criminal homicide – ought to go through the judicial proceeding. When we say that women ought to be prosecuted, we're not talking penality, right? We're talking yeah. about due process yes. and, and, and the equal application of the current homicide laws. The, what, what we're, we don't even want to talk in terms of the woman. We want to talk in terms of all forms of criminal homicide need to be adjudicated equally. Yeah. But because the pro-life movement has targeted women as the only demographic that is removed from prosecution in any form of criminal homicide, we are forced to have the conversation in terms of prosecuting the women. And this is let me show you how inconsistent they are on this. Right. So for 20 years, we have um, applied victim status to preborn children, 
in, in, in violent crimes, right? So, and, and this gives us uh, fetal homicide laws where, where the, the homicide codes are applied to preborn humans, right? So if a man does an action that has the intended result of the death of the child, he can be charged with criminal homicide. And there are different types of criminal homicide, right? You have murder, you have manslaughter, you have criminally negligent homicide. And, and what distinguishes each of these is the intent and the knowledge of the perpetrator to the crime that they are committing. Okay. So if, if a man does something and a pregnant woman loses her child as the result of what that man does, he can be charged with criminal homicide. If a woman does something and another pregnant woman loses her child because of that action, she could be charged with criminal homicide. So it's not even just a man or a woman thing. Mm -hmm. If a pregnant woman does something that results in the death of the child of a different pregnant woman, she also can be charged with criminal homicide. So it's not just women or pregnant women that are immune it, it is only if the pregnant woman that kills the child is the mother of the child that is the only one that is removed from the judicial proceedings yeah so let me put it in this way let's say you have a woman that is 12 weeks pregnant she finds out that her husband is cheating on her and her his mistress is also 12 weeks pregnant Let's say this woman gets some abortion pills, crushes them up. She takes them and she slips it into the mistress's drink. Both kids die. The woman can be charged for criminal homicide for killing the other woman's child, but cannot for killing her own child. So, so what the pro-life movement says is that these women don't have the necessary knowledge or intention that is needed to charge them for a crime because culture has inundated them with the fact that it's it's not a human that that they are immune from pro prosecution because they don't understand that they are killing their own child but the only one that is immune from prosecution is the woman that kills her own child and we have 20 years of this being laid out in the judicial system. They are the ones that are inconsistently holding to the fact that women don't know because it's, they don't even believe that all women don't know. Yeah. They, they are only pushing that women that are pregnant and kill their own children don't know. And, and that's just, that is indefensible, right? I mean, it's so inco incoherent, right? Um, so that's why they say we're misogynistic because they like to play it off like we are trying to execute women when the truth is we just want the laws of homicide to be applied to every single individual case. We're not even talking about all cases. We're saying that the that every single case is to be adjudicated based off of the merits of that individual case. And, and if the evidence does not show that that woman has the, the necessary knowledge, then the DA doesn't bring a charge or the, the jury acquits her. It, it, if it shows that she does, then the evidence provided is what's used to convict her.
right? So what we're, we're asking for is a DA to look at the evidence for a specific individual case. And based off of the merits of that case go, I either have the evidence needed to place a charge and if so, what charge? And if not, I don't, right? Prosecutorial discretion. Then there's the, the trial where the jury says, based off of the evidence of this one case, you're either guilty or innocent or we nullify. That's what we're asking to happen is that each individual case be judged off the merits of that case, because there are women that are coerced. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. There are women that are sex trafficked. There are 13 year old girls that are raped by their uncle and brought into abortion clinics hidden like that happens. And we need to admit that happens. And the judicial system already deals with those cases. Yeah. But when the pro-life movement says that women are coerced into this, what they mean is not physical coercion, according to the legal definition. What they mean is my boyfriend, my parents, my husband will kick me out of the house if I don't kill my baby. Won't yeah, pay for my school. Won't do my this, that or the other. Yeah. And like, here's the deal is like you said, it all goes back to did God say all right. back to the garden, right? And so again, right. we have to re realize whenever the act happened, Adam said, God, the woman you gave to me, the right. woman you. So he's like blaming Eve, but he's blaming God, the woman right. you gave to me. And he was trying to use that as a reason. I'm just a victim of my environment. The woman you gave me, God, the, right. the environment you created, God, made me do this. And then right. Eve going like, well, no, no, the serpent, you know, again, outside, it's not my fault. I didn't, you right. know, I didn't have, I was coerced by the, by the uh, serpent. Right. right. Whenever. Right. No, no, they knew they, they lived in abundance. Mm -hmm. They knew. And then they, you know, they, they did the act that they were not supposed right. to do and, uh, and then tried to do the blame game. So that's what you're seeing here is in this coerced right. thing is, you know, I'm, I'm going to go out here and it's the original fight right right and you know with the coercion thing ask yourself if, if the circumstance was the the husband's going to kick the wife out if she doesn't kill her two-year-old child are you going to accept that as being coercion yeah no but but you will because you don't see the 16 week old fetus because you don't believe that that fetus is human or at least you don't act in a manner that's consistent with that fetus being human. Right on. So good. Go ahead, Adam. Oh, I was going to say, you know, like getting, getting into, uh, you know, just kind of keep the conversation um, going forward. And this kind of connects uh, uh, the next question that we have uh, written down, but, uh, you know, it's talking about, um, you know, the next major issue in this article that needs to be talked about in what people need to hear is that um, we must ignore Roe. Right. So, well, be, before I get to that, let me let me say one more thing about the prosecution of women, because it comes up over and over again. And I, I think I need to say this. They talk as if we are trying to punish and execute women that have ever had an abortion, even while it's legal. Yeah. And here's the thing. Those are called ex post facto laws. The Constitution already deals with ex post facto laws twice. Yeah. You cannot have an ex, ex post facto law because it becomes an affirmative defense for the thing that you did because it was already sanctioned by the government when you did it. 
that's your defense. You, you cannot be charged with a crime when the government has already told you, go ahead and do that thing. So yeah. it's a lie. Maybe people, some people misunderstand and they, they misunderstand what we're saying. But yeah. most of the times I hear it, it's from people that know better and they're lying. So don't get misled by that. Don't get tricked by it. Nobody's trying to do some. Under yeah, and yes, yeah. And I guess, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up because that brings up a big deal is because this is a political position. This is a, you know, this is, um, I'm glad that they brought it up. This is a secular. Right. This is a pro-life is secular. It is right. Okay. So like in America, we have this false division and we can't, we right. can't accept that, you know, like again, right. we dealt with the Noah covenant. God right. put the, the uh, the law that by if a man sheds blood by a man right. shall his blood be shed that was set then an altar was built sacrifices went up and so right. all law is God's law all right so, right and and the so Romans thirteen deacon is bound right. to wield his sword judiciously yeah. based yeah. off of what you just read in Genesis nine six that yeah. is his duty yeah so we've set up this secular division where all this you know stuff takes place and man like i just totally lost my train of thought there for no a second problem. because um sorry but, uh, but the and i'm, I'm going to try to <laughs> rewind here uh, because the thing is it is illegal and so this is right. all on no gospel so the whole issue is the ex post facto right. thing no right let's repent now and we're right. we're sanctified we are justified by the Lord right. Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit. And so this is an opportunity. This is what the resolution talks about. We need to repent. And right. that is the language that the other side does not like. They don't want to repent. Right. It's, right. Yeah, it's and, and you brought that up, you know, how long, just because you've been in sin for a long time does not mean that you should continue in that sin. Yeah. Whether you've been in that sin for five minutes, 10 minutes, 10 years, 30 well, years, yeah. 50 years, stop, yeah. <laughs> you know, stop and turn to Christ. That, that, that's, that's what you need yeah. to do. So, yeah. So these things, you know, we will allow for the gospel to take its effect and watch right. so they can repent. And it's okay. Cause right. now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the beautiful right. thing, the gospel. And so on the flip side of that is what's been said already by Jeff Durbin and um, all the other folks here is that we are not giving the women the gospel and the opportunity right. of the gospel if we're saying that they're okay. And so we reject right. that right. when we do that. Right. So again, that's because of the secular nature of the pro-life industry i guess you know it's one of those things we've got right. to change our language here the pro-life industry is a secular industry and it's right. only to deal with only law so this is this is fairsitism this is not right well and and what i argue is that it's based off of two anti-christian worldviews mm -hmm. it, it's it's the, the entirety of the pro-life movement strategy is based off of utilitarian pragmatism which says um, that you can justify the thing that you are doing based off of the results that you are going to get. Right. So the, the ends justify the means. And, and in this case, it would be using unjust law that sanctions the murder of some children becomes justified because of the possibility of saving 
maybe one or two or 10 or a hundred children, whatever the number Based is. Based off of false presupposition, even in the right. problem of evil as apologists, that would be. Right. Is we right. Like use that, um, you know, because we're embarrassed of scripture, because we're right. embarrassed of the Old Testament and God doing what he's, what he's done. Right. Um, we, a lot of people on the problem and evil will just go to that, you know, the ends justify the means. And it's like, no, God is right. justified the whole time. Right. And right. so their view of God, okay, this is why, understand this is Calvin, the knowing God and knowing ourselves, they're intertwined. And so here's how what you believe about God is going to end up impregnating your practice. And so right. if you, God is justified, you know, the, God's um, means are justified by his ends, then you're going to act as though the same thing. Right. Whenever you should actually believe, no, God is just every time he does something. He's not breaking right. the law. He's not doing anything like that. And then we're lying about him. So, right. So so when it comes to that's the first, un, yeah. not only ungodly, but I'm going to say that it's anti-Christian yeah. worldview that drives it is, is that the ends justify the means, right? This utilitarian pragmatism, yeah. when God says, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Who is the wicked in this situation? The woman that kills her unborn child and the man that helps her do it. Right. Yeah. He, he says he, he says both those that justify the wicked and those that condemn the just are both alike an abomination. Yeah. Stop doing it. Right. Yeah. And to so be clear, the, the other. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, to be clear again, we're not just sitting here. We'll find somebody that said, hey, they just got an abortion or somebody walks out of an abortion mill going, ha ha ha. We're not going to yeah. immediately take stones and start throwing at them. No, we no. legal process. Not right. Kind of we right. find out if there is coerciveness going on there, or if there is right. pre, if there's premeditated murder, there's premeditated mur murder. You can't get around yes. that. It needs to be dealt with. But it's not like we're sitting here just trying to like, man, I, I just I just want to start throwing stones at people. That, that's the way we're right. Doing. And it's like no, right. And that just, well, I mean, God has already said we have to have due process. He yeah, gave right. the sword to the state, not to you. You yeah. don't get to do that. The state does. You're just demanding this. The state does their job yeah. with equal scales. That's all you're doing. Yeah. Well, you totally em engage that idea about that. You, I just again, I changed my language once I started reading your book and saying every time I say pro-life, it is no, no, the secular pro-life industry. And right. I ran into that personally when um, Mike Moon put forward SB 391 and I got to testify in the hearing. The first person to get up and speak, number one, had this fake aura of, oh, I'm neutral. But it was someone, a lobbyist from the secular pro-life industry who right. threatened all of the members of the committee. If you put this forward, we will no longer back you because right. it undoes everything that we've worked for good there's yeah, no need right. for it and that brings me to this piece yeah. and, and i want to kind of i really want to get your thoughts here and this is the only time i'm reading directly from this article but i think it's really important it says this not only is the resolution adopted in nashville at odds with the success of the pro-life movement but its own call to action is unhelpfully vague. To call for abolition implies adopting the means to accomplish such an end. 
if they don't adopt incremental measures like the Hyde Amendment or efforts to abolish Roe vs. Wade, then we are compelled to ask what methods are abolitionists willing to adopt to accomplish their aims? Armed resistance, civil war, civil disobedience. In gutting pro-life advocacy of any incremental success, it calls for a goal without explaining how it would be attained. Those who adopt a resolution implying drastic actions owe us, owe us the clarity of what those actions are to be. Just so you know, Denny Burke has heard these completely and did not do anything after they were given. Right. What your thoughts yeah, so, on that paragraph? Right. Yeah. So here's the thing about that, that paragraph. There, there's a lot in it. And, and I think starting backwards is the best place to go. Yeah. Yes. They, they called for anybody that supports this to clarify. So the authors of the resolution said, okay, we will take you up on that. Denny Burt, Alan Branch, uh, what's his name? Walker, um, Scott Klusendorf, Seth Gruber, uh, Weston from ERLC. We will take you up on that. Let's have this discussion. Blocked, blocked, blocked. We will not have any discussions with you. Like even today, John Speed uh, released an email that he received from uh, one of their offices, uh, Denny Burke's office, right, where, where he requested to have this discussion in a, a formal moderated debate. And uh, the answer is we will not engage with you. So you well, how are you going to call us out to? Yeah, you want clarity. We owe it to you. But when we come to talk to you. You say, no, 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 we, we've spoken from on high. We, we, we don't need you anymore. We, we've said what we want the masses to hear. And we've extended this out so that the masses hear that we're, we're uh, trying to engage. But now that they've already read that, we, we're not going to actually engage. Because by this point, hopefully, the, the Christians that are under our thumbs within the SBC will have let it go. It's totalitarian, it's authoritarian, and rather than being an institution that works to serve the Christian, they, they are propagating their own propaganda. They're, they're acting no different than the CDC is with Biden. They're acting no different than any of these governors that are putting on mask mandates. They are trying to control the masses of the people that hold them in power because it's about power and privilege and esteem and it's not about finding truth i wish it were I, I wish i was wrong and if i'm wrong i will say that i'm sorry i will repent and i'll retract my statement i'm just going based off of what i have seen of these ethics professors yeah this is acting without an integrity this is, this is another yeah, they're, they're calling yeah, they're calling for clarity from the abolitionists we'd love to get now, it to you okay you want clarity well, then we want clarity from you, too. So let's now talk. And, you know, so what's going to happen there? You know, <laughs> OK, so but to, but to, to the thing that they're getting to. Right. Yeah. A, they have no successes. They're, they're not. They're, every single pro-life law is a hindrance to the cutting off of government sanctioned murder. Yeah. It, it, it is a hindrance. It teaches women that it's okay for them to kill their children. It teaches 
people that it's okay to kill your children in the and because of rape or because of incest. It teaches people, oh, it's okay to kill my child because the child doesn't feel pain or the child doesn't have a heartbeat. I hear these things every single day at the clinic. And it's because the pro-life institution has taught them how to interact with people that are asking them to repent. Right. So they are the ones that are hindering the end of abortion. I do believe they want abortion to end. And that's me being as charitable as I possibly can. Um, but they are the ones being the hindrance. Mm. Now, they're they're asking and saying that we don't provide any type of um solutions as to what it will look like that is a straight lie i think I the host, that's been said repeatedly and repeatedly and over with, and over again and not only just in, in kamala's admission on national tv when asked right. the question about roe versus wade and if it will be codified what does that say right what right. abolitionists been saying that all of these laws are in fact saying that it's a real thing when it's not yeah, Biden so knows that it's not real to ignore Roe. Right. Well, how so much more what, clear can he be? Here, here's the thing is all the stuff he's talking about, secession, civil war, armed resistance, civil disobedience, all of these things have actually been addressed. They're act, they're yeah. acting as if we have said nothing about it. Not only have we made articles and videos about it, we have gone into Senate and house hearings in multiple states mm -hmm. and made clear made clear what our position is on civil disobedience civil war secession and all of these things do we want civil war no do do we want secession not necessarily what is it that we want we want the lesser magistrate to stand up and defend the rights of humans because God told them to and because it's enshrined in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. That's what we want. And what's interesting is if you've looked at what has happened over the past year and a half specifically in our country when it comes to the doctrine of the lesser magistrate between the, the, the federal government saying X, whether it's uh, you can't smoke the marijuana or uh, immigration or any number of things and you mask mandates, you have in specific instances, governors saying, no, we are going to smoke all the weed that we want to here. And they do. Mm -hmm. Or it doesn't have to be that it, it could be a city that says, if you are not an American citizen, you can hide out in our city and we will not let Border Patrol, DHS, or any of these federal institution law enforcement agencies come arrest you. That's the doctrine of the lesser magistrate happening on a different topic in a different level. How dare any of these men clap their hands or give a pat on the back to the governors who said, no, we are not going to shut down and then turn around and say, oh, but you have to follow pro-life incrementalism. Yeah. Right. Well, so let's check this out. Right. So in, in Oklahoma, the, the governor himself came out against or, or maybe it was the president pro tem. 
one of these guys came out against the the bill of the abolition publicly he was forced to because there was so much energy that was generated behind this and he says we can't do it because we cannot stand up against the the federal government and and um, do our duty as as a sovereign state against this tyrannical federal government the very next week or the week after they wanted to do some second amendment thing for the state and the governor could not sign. He could not come out behind this, ignore the the federal government bill for second amendment stuff because he's already used that excuse as to why he wouldn't stop the slaughter of children. We saw the same thing in Texas. So yes, we already have a plan. And that plan is to get sheriffs, get city councils behind standing up for justice. Now, what what is that going to look like? Man, it's going to depend on what state you're in. It's going to depend on what city you're in, because there are let's say you have a legislature that is willing to say we will not kill children anymore. And you have a governor that's willing to say we will not allow the killing of children anymore. And he has uh, an attorney general that is willing to prosecute. Is the federal government going to come in and force us to kill children? Possibly. And if that happens, what is the governor going to do? Hopefully stand up against him. Right. And, and this, the same thing is going to happen down on a city level with sheriffs or, or uh, uh, a county level or, or city level with who's going to close or force the doors open. Yes, th- that is a very real possibility that we accept. Do we want secession? No. That was accused of us in Oklahoma for two years in a row. So they had to put the language in the bill that this is not a bill of secession. However, if, if you were going to invade us as a, as a state then that is on the table. Secession is on the table. Civil war is on the table, right? Civil disobedience better be on the table. You, you should be involved with c- civil disobedience when it comes to the murder of these children. If you are unwilling to pick up your weapon to defend against the government saying, kill your baby, what kind of man are you? On, uh, and, and I'm being honest, if, if you are unwilling to execute violent acts to defend your state from a government that is telling you kill your children, that is the opposite of Christian ethics. We need more violent men that hold to a Christian ethic that know when it's appropriate because it's not always appropriate. It's not appropriate for a man to go and blow up a, a abortion clinic that is wrong yeah and that's we we we, we do not because right we do not promote violence like that that's not what we're saying we're not anti you know we are right theonomous and so you know they're i'm not oh i'm not a theonomous we do have god's law and god's law says not to do it right we can't do things lawlessly Right. And that's the thing. We can't do it lawlessly. So who's being the lawless one? Is it the federal government that's demanding you kill your children? 
is that who the lawless one is or is it the state government that's saying we will not allow you to force us to kill our children who is actually in control is it states that are in control or is the federal government in control see the civil war really tripped us up with who is really responsible for uh, nullification as well as do we have a top-down authoritarian centralized government or do we have a union of states that cooperate with each other? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let me kind of bring us kind of to a little bit of conclusion, man. I've so appreciated every minute. I feel like I've sat here and learned and I'm going to go back through and listen to the show a few times because I, there's been so much good content. I don't, I will listen to our shows every once in a while, but I'm going to go back and revisit many of the things that you said. And I want to make sure that, that others go to you and Darren's podcast. Uh, one more time on the name of it for someone who might uh, miss it. Resisting Balaam. Resisting, Resisting Balaam. Uh, yeah. The last little piece is, let's say that I, and I have had pastors reach out to me since the passing of the resolution uh, who have questions and they are, they're pro-life historically, essentially, mm-hmm. but they've been wanting, what is this abolition? I do. I want to, I want to push it to the end. Now is the time to push it in. What do I say to those guys uh, who have been thinking it was a pro-life way? And now we're beginning to say, wait a second, there's a third option. What can I do to persuade them winsomely um, to, to look at the reality that we have just right. talked about? So here's the thing. I think those discussions are are great. I mm-hmm. think that's what we welcome. Honest questioning. And, and let's reason together. And if you're not persuaded, you're not persuaded. I don't think you're not a Christian for not being persuaded. I, I don't. Right. Um, but what I would do is say, let's open the Bible together. Mm-hmm. What, what does God say about justice? What does he say about how we ought to do justice? Because he's very clear about what an abomination is, right? So abomination pollutes the land. And mm-hmm. and at some point, the land will vomit you up. And what are some of the things that, that cause abominations to pollute the land? Well, one is killing your children. But two is how you implement justice or injustice. So should a Christian support a law that sanctions the murder or or sanctions the unjust killing of a human? Let's say it that way in in the nicest terms possible, right? No, a Christian ought not support a law that gives government official permission and approval to kill a child. That's what every single pro-life healthcare law does. There's a reason why pro-life laws are considered healthcare. It's because that's what is used to define the lawful medical procedure that has the intended result of the death of the child that keeps the abortion doctor from being charged with criminal homicide. None of these pro-life laws affect the woman of herself. Right. A woman can kill her own preborn child for any reason that she wants to by any method that she wants to up until birth. And it's not going to be considered criminal homicide. These pro-life health care laws, whether it's a heartbeat bill, pain capable act, dismemberment act, all of those things are designed to limit access to the woman's right 
to kill her child by defining what constitutes what is criminal homicide for the doctor or not. These laws are used to sanction, to give official permission to kill children. Yeah. Don't support them. Yeah. When all on the other side of this is at the very outset, we could have told the truth the whole time. And again, right. They're at the same point after Roe happened and went down. All the Christians had to say is it's no law. And it's right. not been law for 48 years. And instead we have lied to the public, right. lied to the people in the pew saying like, we've got to fight against this thing. And the people right. in the pew haven't been informed. And it's what we have to say. It's not law. It's not law. We don't have right. to overturn it. We don't have to overturn it. We don't have to make, right. no, 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 we just have to ignore it. And so we just need to call our legislatures. You know, you don't have to follow this thing. And again, right. the, you know, doctrine of a lesser magistrate. And those exactly. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's the issue is we have perpetuated a lie and we need to repent. That's all right. 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 So we haven't been truthful. And so, yeah. Kelly, I just want to thank you again for your time, brother. Um, thank you for your educate, educating yeah. a guy like me. Um, thank you for your book. I'm just grateful that God has allowed me to get to run into you. And I, I want to give you just a little thing. When Adam and I first saw the abolitionist resolution in the first video they did, we immediately contacted these yeah. guys. And I didn't know Dusty or Brett or Darren or John or Bill. Uh, and I'm using their names, but there's a lot of other guys who have done a ton that names are in this right. book, right? Uh, I didn't know any of those guys. I'd never, I'd never even heard of James Silberman, right? Right. Uh, I hadn't even heard of you. You know, I'm sure it was Darren. I probably saw some posts you had with Darren that connected me. And these guys invited me to come be a part of what they were doing and took time to, like you just said that, open God's word and start with God's word. And so I just want to praise the Lord for your example. And I want to let you know how grateful I am. And, and I'm just praying. I'm praying for the hearts of people like Denny Burke. Um, right. And I don't, I'm not trying to exclude him, but he's the person we've interacted with the most. I want to praise God for Bar Barber and his willingness to speak and uh, with right. us. And my call, and I love how you said is we've got to continue to winsomely call these guys back to scripture. Come let us reason together. It's not a hostile thing, but at right. the end of the day, I really want to know, do you think it's okay to regulate the murder of people? Because mm -hmm. if so, the implications to that knock your feet out completely from when will happen in the next few years, when they begin to euthanize people like me who are hundred percent disabled. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's right. nothing they can do to stop it. And I know right. without a doubt, there's not a Southern Baptist, I should say, I'll bet you that there was probably not one Southern Baptist and not 15,000 of them that would say, it's all right for your family to decide to off you because you do nothing right. productive to help society. They right. would fight that. But can they see their inconsistency? Uh, yeah. Go ahead and give it the last word, brother. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I, what I hope, especially in this SBC thing, is that the institution recognizes the big disconnect between itself and the people, right? I honestly believe that the average Christian out there, when, when posed with these ideas and, and talked through them, some of them are difficult not to understand. They're easy to understand. I mean, it's seeing the logical consistency is super easy. It's hard to swallow. 
But the average Christian, I think, understands it and, and is like, yeah, this is the right thing to do. The institution, on the other hand, has more to lose and are less willing. Now, what I would hope is that they do engage us in, in conversation. If you think you're right, make your case. Let, let, let's talk in front of the people and let the people decide the movement of the convention, the movement of the institution. You don't decide for them to take them down the wrong path. And if they don't follow they're now ostracized and that, that's that I don't have anything against these guys per se. Um, and I do hope they, they come around, engage us in conversation publicly. And you know what, if you convince me, you convince me and I'll repent and, and I'll change. Hmm. I, I, I don't see that happening, but I'm willing to at least uh, nobody so far has has shown me a, a biblical argument for any pro-life doctrine. Zero it hasn't happened yet. I'm not saying that there's not one out there. And if there is one, then I will change my mind because I don't care about being right. I care about being aligned with scripture. Amen. Yeah. And I, I, I hope that you would feel the same way. So please come talk to us. Quit shutting yourself off. It's going to damage you, your reputation, your institution, and the SBC as a whole. Yeah. Because there's too much. There's too much craziness going on right now in the SBC for you to really believe that the people trust you just because you're a doctor of ethics or whatever people's trust in institution is crumbling and rightfully so. So let's build up these, these institutions with trust. Let's, let's make these institutions serve the people the way they're designed to, instead of lording it over the, these people. That's what I would say. Time for a Southern Baptist reformation. Thank you. Thank you again. We look forward to notifying you when this gets posted. Thank you for your fighting for the unborn mm -hmm. and the example that you have been to us. Appreciate it. Thank you. So right. Adam will tell yeah. you how we close out our show. Yeah. I think you'll, you'll like it. Um, right, we got three guys right here. Yeah. We got three words, Soli Deo Gloria. And so what I do is just kind of say, this is the podcast and you know, the names and all that kind of stuff. I'll point. And then we just ended out uh, with the, to the glory of God. So Pretty simple. Anyway, All right. again, so uh, which part do I get? Uh, you get the last one. You get so, glory. Okay. glory. All right. Anyway, uh, guys, uh, thank you so much uh, for um, downloading this podcast. You know, um, you can't see what's going on anyway. And then everybody on YouTube uh, that has uh, seen this, we thank you for your time. We hope that this has been informative. Again, I just have to stress, you know, we have talked about this a lot. Um, but then again, we take the opportunities we, we, we can, when we can get them. And uh, we got to bring on another voice of Tally. Uh, we've had uh, Devers. We've had Clay Hall. We've had uh, Darren Stitt. We've had uh, Bill Askell. Like we've had a lot of these voices. And so now we've got to have them all personally on the podcast. And it's awesome. So we don't mean to just be harping on one issue. Again, like I said, this issue speaks into other issues. If you look at the foundations. Um, so there's more here. And this is why it's so important. But anyway, um, just hope it's been edifying. I hope it's uh, informed you. 
please have conversations. I've had to have a tough conversation behind, you know, in my barber chair with somebody, a fellow Christian of a different denomination. We discussed this and it's awesome that we had a civil conversation and we left in disagreement, but I did enlighten him more mm-hmm. and I did see persuasion start to happen. So this is possible. And it can happen in a barbershop. It can happen in a coffee shop. It can happen in a park. It should be able to happen in the SBC. All right, mm-hmm. let's talk. So with that said, this is the Tag Gear Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I'm Dave. And? I'm Callie. And Soli. Deo. Gloria. Yeah.